0: Hi everyone, Alon here from Panda, we are here with another episode from Pressure Point and I'm really excited to have Pelesa Ndwajaye, who has an esteemed career across some of South Africa's leading financial services brands, both in the South African context and the global context. So really excited to have her here. We we're chatting before and I think she's really got lived experience, Uh, from an HR perspective that is super valuable and I'm excited to dig into the conversation and learn more from her. So, Pelesa, thanks for being with us.
1: Thank you for having me, Alon. Really excited to be contributing, uh, you know, to the fraternity. I'm really passionate about all matters of well-being where employees are concerned. And I consider myself the Chief Dealer of Hope. (laughs) Uh,
0: We love that and I think, you know, we've dealt with you in your previous role Mm. and your passion for people was abundantly clear. And I think it's authentic, which um, is why you're in the industry that you're in. Yeah. Uh, and maybe that's a great place to start. I think we were chatting earlier and you don't actually come from a traditional academic background from an HR perspective. So give us some context on your you know, academic background and your professional career. And we'll go forward from there.
1: Yeah, excellent. So, um, you know, as you mentioned, I'm currently the human capital executive at Old Mutual Insure. I've spent a lot of time in the financial services industry in SA and across the continent. Um, but what a lot of people don't realize is that I actually studied a BCOM degree at Rhodes University many years ago. And the first job I landed, you know, my line manager tasked me with a huge job of landing the company's first leadership program. Yeah. And um, it was the first in the space. Um, and I think, you know, the experience after I saw Just the impact, the real human impact of how the 10 lives of learners were changed just from securing employment, um, you know, and the improvement in the quality of life of their families. Um, I was stuck. I was like, I actually want to be in this. Um, So I've chosen to stay, to contribute, to give back. And um, over the years, I've just continued studying business related qualifications because I think that helps sharpen the eggs. but certainly, remembering that my role in any organization is to keep the people agenda alive and say, "What can we do to make sure that people, as the most important resources in any organization, you know, um, you know, are being looked after, and also just making sure that their skills certainly remain relevant uh, for future prospects of the organization." That's awesome, and I love
0: Chief D Love Hope. I think. <laughs> you know, that's something that we should all aspire to do, like bring hope to the people we interact with, the organizations we work for. So I love that. Um, I think something that we've spoken about, and I know something that you're passionate about and something which is critical uh, to creating hope in an organization is having empathetic leaders. Mm. And I think it's a term that people use quite broadly, but no one really knows how do you you know, build a culture of empathy within an organization. And I think it does start at the top. So maybe speak a bit about how you do that from your perspective.
1: Yeah. You know, I think it's so important for, so leaders have a lot that at stake. You know, often we are tasked with ensuring that um, whatever's been promised to the shareholders, you know, is delivered along. And I think we can quickly get into a cycle of just focusing on the numbers and I think something that's really useful for for us to take stock of is in building your muscle of being empathetic, you really have to want to care about the development and I guess where people are coming from. you know, I'm not sure we spend enough time being inquisitive um about, you know, whether it be your direct reports or your team. What are the circumstances that are shaping this individual? Where does this person come from? You know, what are their dreams and ambitions? Over and above the stuff that is contractually obligated to do. Um, And I think if more and more people really had that sense of care, deeply caring and wanting the best for a palesa, you know, um, it's one way of us strengthening leadership. Um, you know, and and this empathy, because to your point, it is a buzzword, but I think it only comes through in energy and intentions. And I just think if more leaders actually genuinely cared and wanted to know about who I am, where do I come from? What are the struggles I face to get to work? What are some of the challenges? And if I'm attuned to that, you know, that's how people feel. You're an empathetic leader. If you're not, um, you know, and it's superficial, then you're not going to get people to open up and be honest with you so that you really appreciate, you know, the backgrounds and environments that your employees are faced with on a day to day and perhaps how you can respond differently, you know, as a leader.
0: I mean, it's so simple when you put it that way, right? It's really about putting yourself in someone else's shoes and asking basic questions and actually caring about the answers that you're receiving, not just paying lip service or asking questions because you're expected to. Exactly so i mean i i think you know those are lessons that everyone can take and hopefully implement quite quickly um when it comes to growing leaders within an organization i think you know a challenge that i've seen that we hear from clients is that often the people who get promoted are the strong individual contributors but they've never really had a leader team so how do you equip people with that i mean how do you you know, create a behavior where those things become naturally and authentic in the way that they they come to you.
1: Mm. I think as a fraternity we we have to be more vocal about what is the success profile of a leader and be honest about it. you know, to your point, I think for many, many years, individual contributors have been catapulted into leadership positions that actually affect the individual and the team. And I think, getting the balance between what skills are required for you to ascend as a leader. They are more behavioral. They're more soft. um, And as I mentioned, it really is about how vested are you in the development of others? Because your output is the health state of your team. It's actually not the action or the task anymore. You know, they are the ones that are responsible for the task. Yours is to care about them as whole human beings who contribute to the del- delivery of, of of the of the plan, and I think there needs to be a bigger focus and investment into upskilling leaders on the soft, you know, um, skills that, if in my from my point of view, are certainly the new skills that actually matter. You know, for anybody who has people that report into them, I just find the balance is not necessarily equal i think we still value technical skill um, as opposed to you know helping people to become different leaders Um, and i think what what we saw over the last few years you know with the onset of the pandemic is a lot of companies driving promotions you know in an endeavor to show that there's still growth opportunities but not enough being paid into behaviorally, are these the people that can actually set a vision, inspire, you know, and galvanize people around this the same goal um, while caring, you know, for who they are. And that for me is still work that needs to happen. Um, some of the, you know, implications and impacts we've seen alone is really leaders struggling with proximity bias. You know, we have so many people who actually aren't clear what is the outcome I'm actually measuring. And so it's easier for me to assume that Alon is the one that's working because I see him every day. um, So that bias comes through. And I think our role is to help leaders really transition through this period. But ultimately, it is about making the right investment behaviorally in soft skills that are crucial, you know, for somebody who's in a leadership position. How I respond to my team when they've made a mistake Uh, when trying to deliver something that was really meaningful to the business is very different, you know, to how I respond when I assume there was ill intent. And it's a subtle shift and a subtle change. And I think more work needs to be done from that perspective. Yeah, I I just, I love the point
0: around assuming, you know, what intent are you assuming? And I think the default for people is unfortunately to assume ill intent. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you go into a situation and you assume good intent, your whole framing of the, situation will change you know 180 degrees and like I mean I I think so much conflict so much you know breakdown in trust breakdown in communication can be avoided if people just subtly change the way they approach these situations.
1: Correct and you know the higher calling for us to be able to self-regulate right Um, you know one of the conversations I had with, with somebody I work with was we carry so much of our own so leaders are also human beings and what happens is the moment you walk into a workplace you are on a stage and so that means a lot of the time having that ability to put your stuff in the back seat so that you're able to focus on the people that are waiting and looking to you for direction um so that ability to self-regulate self-composed you know alone is so important because I could also be having a bad day. But in that split second of how I respond, I could really make someone else's week, month or year, you know, um, incredibly difficult because of that moment that they experienced me because I was just simply having a bad day. So there's such a higher calling of of servant leadership, you know, and, and being able to put your own self-interests uh, behind everybody else. And that's why I'm saying, you know, this need to us being clear and open about, What is the success profile of a leader? It really is somebody who cares deeply, you know, about others way before their own, um, you know, self-objectives. Yeah.
0: So just because you said care deeply, I think a concept which I love is this concept of radical candor Mm -hmm. where it comes to feedback. And if you give feedback, you're giving the feedback because you care deeply about the person. And For the person receiving the feedback, they should receive it knowing that you care deeply. Yeah. And it goes back to your point in framing If you frame that conversation with that lens, Mm -hmm. it changes the way that that feedback's received because the person knows it's coming from a place of good intent versus ill intent.
1: Correct. And um, consistency matters. And so, you know, if you're somebody who changes depending on who's in the room or who's watching, that also doesn't help, right? And being intentional about wanting the best for somebody else or being invested in their growth and development has to be experienced consistently, you know, by the recipient. Um, Else all you're doing is you make people confused, you leave them in a confused state of mind and it starts eroding the trust actually that they have. Um, You know, you, you touched on, on listening, um, you know, earlier, Alan, and I want to branch out on it. Um, You know, there's nothing worse than a team member or somebody asking, What's your daughter's name again? And I think that for me, it's it's small moments that show if somebody actually is listening to me, if I'm being hurt and if they care. Um, and it can be as small as me telling you my son is not okay on a Friday and you checking in on Monday. By the way, you said Jay wasn't well. How's he doing today? That shows people that you're listening. And that's how you start obtaining the trust. And people know that you really do care about me, who I am. Um, and everything else in turn that I care about without overreaching, you know, or stepping above, you know, certain boundaries. Because ultimately, um, you know, goal conversations have to take place, performance review conversations have to take place. But I think there's a big difference getting feedback from somebody that you know cares about you versus somebody whose intentions you're actually not sure. You know, are they waiting to catch you doing something wrong or are they actually there to coach you if you've done something wrong, um, you know, and, and I think that for me, it's, it's, it's energy and intention that um, can't be misconstrued, can't be confused, and can be earned over time if you're consistent in how you show up to those that that report to you.
0: Yeah, I, I think it's so important, just that consistency in investing in yeah. relationships and building that trust. You, I guess you, you've touched on a lot of points. I think where I want to take the conversation is, you know, some of the, you know the fine the balancing act that leaders need to play within an organization and you've touched on some of those difficult conversations like you no know, businesses ultimately need to deliver for shareholders all right um, what we're seeing as a trend is teams are feeling under-resourced mm. um so as a leader and as an empathetic leader how do you ensure that you can drive i guess delivery uh, but also be cognizant of workload mm. and you know, ensuring that there's fairness in what you're asking your people to deliver? Mm.
1: You know, ours is to really push back against that which is not practical um, or feasible. And and I think there are too many people who are, you know, in a take um, and pass on mode. I strongly believe Alon that, you know, if between me and my principles, the expectations for the team that I have is too much, you know, so the job jar is really spilling over the responsibility I carry for my people is to negotiate, you know, and be clear on what can be delivered, you know, in one cycle versus another, because to your point, part of the organizational issues that affect mental wellbeing for employees is workload, excessive workload, has been proven over time to contribute to burnout. You know, an environment that is characterized by fixed deadlines, high pressure consistently, has an adverse impact on people's state of health. And, you know, it's over and above human capital playing a role. But ultimately, it is the leader. How are you negotiating for the workload that your team, you know, is carrying? Um, As I mentioned, your role is to care for your team. They will do the job, but yours is to care for them. And I think that's part and parcel of the line, you know, that that line managers have to fulfill and the responsibility rather that line managers have to fulfill. That negotiating on deadlines um, in addition to workload, um, because those are things that are easy for us to fix. They're easy to resolve. They are within our decision rights. And I think, you know, if you're sitting there and you're taking stuff on because, you know, you're not going to do it, but it's going to affect your team, that's really just careless, you know. Um, it's, it's also just making sure that evenly within the team, you know, you, you promote meritocracy, that everybody shows up because what often also happens and that we don't talk about enough is the unintended consequences of not dealing people who are not performing. All it does, it spills over on other team members and part of the harmony within the team is also you know something that contributes towards the state of mental health um you know within uh, the business so for me those are two things that i think leaders have it's it's actually non-negotiable you know that is your responsibility over and above you know human capital coming in and saying have we actually designed our structure and the jobs in a manner that is fair that enables people to deliver without feeling like they have to be you know uh, working for 23 hours a day constantly, because that's also not sustainable, you know. Um, and I think for me, it's key. Leaders need to push back. You're in a role because you have the authority to negotiate. We can't expect our teams to constantly be pushing up um, this positional hierarchy that impacts relationships in the work. And so, you know, I think for me, that's really the part of the higher calling, you know, of leaders and the responsibility that we have. Yeah,
0: I, I think, you know, something which I think you're... You- you're talking about is, you know, how do your leaders talk about you when you're not in the room, right? Are they your biggest defenders? Are they your biggest advocates? Are they, you know, telling your story and singing your praises? Because that's ultimately what you want from your leader. Yeah. To touch on another point that you, you, you've mentioned is this balancing act again, between being empathetic as a leader, but also driving accountability. Mm -hmm. And you know it's easier to shy away from difficult conversations, but again, as a leader, part of what your responsibility is is to drive accountability. So how do you get that balance right?
1: Mm. You know, um, a famous person, you know, once said, "A lot of conflict, you know, is 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 resulting from the tone, um, you know, or how the message has been delivered." And it is possible to have a high performance team to drive a high performance culture along and hold people accountable while coming across as a caring you know leader because it boils down to how are you communicating, you know the message. Nobody wants to feel humiliated. Nobody wants to feel disrespected or embarrassed. And I think the art of it is really just, you know how do you deliver the message around what is expected? versus the shortcoming or what you are experiencing from the individual, but done respectfully and not in a manner, you know, that results in people feeling humiliated. And that is how you can actually stick to, you know, the facts, which is expectations not being met. Um, And I think that's where it really sits, you know. Um, There's often such this misnomer that um, you somehow have to be hard and brash, you know, for people to actually be clear on what the goals is or what needs to be done, or for you to hold a high performance culture. And that's true. You know, I, I'm here today to say it is a complete untruth. Um, it's a fallacy that exists. Um, and I think really it's a shortcut in judgment, you know, of people who are not prepared to sit and say, Alon, out of the five things I expected, three were done really well. But these two, you know, really it, it didn't meet the expectations because of one, two, three. And there is nothing nasty about having such a conversation, you know. So the balance is there. I just think it takes practice. And the more you do it, the easier it gets. Um, And, and being mindful of, of subtle things, you know. So do you really want to give somebody feedback that's not pleasant, you know, in a room full of other people? No. Would you want to be treated the same, you know? Um, if it's a difficult conversation and you're worried about having a neutral space, maybe then don't have it in the office or go to the canteen or go across where there's still privacy, but the individual feels that they're being respected. It really all boils down to the how, you know, um, but you can have both. Yeah, so
0: I want to get back to the how I think it's often overlooked and common theme across what we're discussing here. But before we do, I mean, you've touched on objective mm expectations around what's expected um, ensuring that you provide feedback respectfully but I think both of those things like you know so easy when you hear them but so often overlooked by managers right people are not respectful when they give feedback and I think often when you see performance issues it's because people don't actually know what's expected of them so how do you ensure that you create that discipline within an organization around what? You know, KPIs are, and how people are going to be held accountable, and how those conversations happen. Is there a process that you follow to ensure that that's done consistently, especially, you know, across those large organizations that you work with?
1: Mm. You know, some of the mechanisms that have worked well, um, you know, across the different companies um, I've, I've I've had the privilege of of serving, it's you know, at times perhaps separating you know the conversations so. There's one conversation about what are the ambitions of the organization and what aspects of those are directly influenced by what we do. So having a clear discussion with your employees, teams around that, that's important because it makes the link for them, you know. And then secondly, the tasks that are then broken down into the delivery, you know, of that um, of that piece. And that has to be a consistent, regular conversation alone now. Different companies have different performance management philosophies. Whether you officially communicate um, a performance rating scale mid-year or at the end of the year, that doesn't matter. What you want is to remove the element of surprise. People must know where they stand, you know, every quarter or every month, um, you know, insofar as their agreed deliverables are concerned. But making the link is key. Otherwise, people don't know what they do, what they're doing, you know. Um, And secondly, they can really underestimate the impact of not delivering you know against what is a task because it contributes to the bigger scheme um you know for for the gold the other conversation then is the k1 around balisa as a person you know how are things going what's happening at home um you know as much as the person is willing to share what are the things you're struggling with what are the you know um how how do you want me to show up what are your developmental goals um, because that for me you know makes you show up as a wholesome leader who yes we talk about work we talk about what needs to be done how far are we from the objectives we set for ourselves but at the same time there's enough time for you to talk about me and to hear from me what I want to say and and I think from a how perspective it matters to give the person the mic let them talk to you about how they're progressing they it's 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 a small but such an impactful action alone. I think as leaders, we get into a space where we think we're being paid to talk a lot more than listen, and there's power in listening. When you give somebody the opportunity to tell you how they think they've performed or how the month has progressed, um, it really changes their accountability. So it's no longer also just you uh, being experienced as somebody with a stick approach because you're actually listening. And yours is to say, where do I then come in to coach? Um, And to also know whether the person is actually looking for advice or if they need help. You know, if you allow them to speak and own their goals so that they give you feedback on where they're at and where they think they're struggling or what the prospects of delivering on time, you know, are. um, That's really powerful. Listening. Listening is a skill.
0: Again, (laughs) I think so obvious, but so... Yeah, I think you you summed it up perfectly. Leaders come in and they think they need to have the answers and tell everyone everything, but what they actually need to do is just pause and listen. Correct. It's so powerful. I think another point that you made is just this um, ability to do things which sound like they are at a conflict to one another, but they're actually not. You can still drive that accountability, but be empathetic. You can still understand and show respect, but ensure that when difficult conversations need to happen, Mm -hmm. they are happening. And I think the other point is just this point around nothing should become a surprise when it's time for that performance management conversation. It goes back to your point around communication, that if you are communicating regularly by the time that you're having that conversation, what I've said to the team is if you're having a conversation with your manager and they're telling you that um, your performance is not where it needs to be and it's the first time that you're sharing it, that's problematic, Mm -hmm. right? Because where's that communication gap been? Correct. If you're doing it twice a year, officially, what have you been speaking about? Mm. Because it's too late, actually, Mm. at that point to have that conversation for the first time. That's right. Something else that I want to touch on, and I think you've spoken about it, but is the, you know, there's two things that leaders can do that people within an organization can do. I don't think it's just about leaders. It's Mm -hmm. the what they do, and it's the how they do it. Mm. And the what to some of the points that you've made is often quite objective and a lot easier to measure and, you know, objectively say this person has or hasn't met their KPIs. But the the how mm. is sometimes more complex. Yeah. So how do you measure the how? How do you know if there are people within the organization that are driving positive culture, that there are leaders that are being empathetic? How do you measure that? And importantly have it as part of your performance review. Because we shouldn't just be rewarding, you know, I, th- I think you know, in a previous life I was with Uber, I think they called it brilliant jerks, right? You don't yeah. want that, right? You want people who are top performers, but are also um, kind and respectful.
1: Mm-hmm. So
0: how do you measure the how?
1: Sure. So, you know, there's there are systems in place, right? So a lot of organizations over time will use um, stakeholder feedback, 360 you know, a lot of companies call it 360 degree feedback because what it does is it's encouraging people to seek feedback, you know, from different people that they deal with, not just from the top, uh, from peers, from even, you know, people that maybe be from a hierarchy perspective below them. But let me tell you, Ian, na- I mean, Alon, nothing beats how you, it's, you know, they call it the smell of the place. Um when you walk into a department, the energy, the sentiments, how people are showing up will tell you the health state, how people are engaging with one another. Um, what words are being used? How do we talk to one another? And that for me is probably the single ingredient I use to assess you know, what the state of affairs is here from, from, from a culture perspective. Um, it's easy to measure. Um, you know, by kind of sending out surveys. But the reality is, you know, people by default will go to somebody who has good things to say about them and not necessarily people who have more developmental feedback. So I think it's 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 in the engagements, you know, um, how do people relate to one another? Is there conflict here? And conflict is not a bad thing, but is it being managed constructively? Um, so i.e. we can challenge each other, but... While respecting one another, um, it's free for us to share differing views, actually, and be comfortable with seeing the same problem from two different perspectives. Because we appreciate that we have different, you know, diverse lenses that we bring to the table. Um, Or is it a sense that there's one person actually here who talks and it's the leader and everybody else must just, you know, be quiet and do their work. And it's intangible. So that's why it's tricky. It's tricky because it's intangible. So while you have systems that can measure... The reality is it's what do you experience when you walk around in the team or is it different when the leader's not there and really icy cold when the leader's there? Because that tells you something, you know, it's a data point and it's so critical for us to be tuned into that, you know. Um, there are other things that you can ov- obviously look at, you know, I'm very passionate about using data to inform um, or kind of, yeah, know how do we want to respond and there's a clear correlation between, you know, where the leadership style doesn't work for the team and the attrition, as an example, um, or the lack of diversity in the team. So if everybody looks like little Alon, then, you know, there's a problem there. Uh, and everybody who doesn't look like Alon doesn't stay long. Right. That's a data point over and above everything else, um, because it's easy to to, you know, to 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 have a I, use, I, I call it a lottery of friends, you know, in any systems that's in place. But often when you know that the team is really running, you know, in the same pace and the same tone and the values are really anchored into how the team operates, you feel it and you feel it by walking around. So, so, so important right now with in this era of, you know, everybody trying to figure out what their hybrid way of working is for leaders to be present and visible, you know, um, walk the floor, you know, on the Wednesday, if you're in the office on the Wednesday, be visible, be present get a sense of what is the ambiance you know is everybody seemingly still getting along um are the systems in place for people to really to reconnect so that you can get a a field and a pulse you know on on how people are are showing up and the how conducive the environment is in them actually teaming you know and working naturally um as colleagues that for me is is how you you get a sense of whether things are working here or not
0: yeah. so it's really I think especially as a you know, a human capital exec in the business, your role to have your finger on the pulse of the organization, what's not being said, creating safe spaces. So nothing's left unsaid either. Mm. Um, I think just in closing, I mean, I've loved the conversation. I think there's so much, but because it's so powerful, I know you refer to yourself as the chief dealer of hope. Yeah. So what would be your tip for, you know, they don't have to be leaders, but people within organizations that are, wanting to inspire others with with hope? Uh, What's something that's worked for you? What's something that you think others can can emulate?
1: Yeah. I think we all have a personal responsibility alone to show up as, um, you know, in a way that inspires others to do the same, you know. So, you know, being positive, um, showing up with care, Um, is a decision that we can all make, actually. You know, um, I know everybody is battling, you know, different, um, I don't know, personal issues that sometimes nobody knows about. But showing up to contribute positively is a decision that anybody can make, regardless of the circumstances. And all of us actually are leaders, you know. Um, There are positional titles and hierarchies because an organization is designed a certain way, But there's nothing stopping a junior business partner in my team for standing up and showing up as a leader and calling out people who aren't. Um, And I think it's it's for people to exercise their agency, you know, Um, and be that energy that you want to receive, really. You know, Um, and I really don't mean to sound, you know, as if I'm trying to uh, kind of remix what um, Mahatma Gandhi said, but it really is about that. Don't be the person who brings Juju in the office. And, you know, Juju is a slang used in West Africa for just bad vibes, bad energy. So bring what you expect to get because the building without the people is actually just the building. But the moment there are people in the building, you get the sense and the energy. And we all contribute to that. Um, and that's really my 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 parting thoughts. You know, we all bring in the energy that we want to receive and we must do that respectfully, responsibly, um, and with good intention. And that's how we all become chief dealers of hope. That's a mindset. It's
0: about bringing that positivity. I love it. Well, thanks so much. Really love the conversation. (laughs) Thanks so much, Devran, for joining us. I think we learned so much here from Palesa around empathetic leadership, around the balancing act that leaders need to get right, when sometimes it's difficult conversations, but having those conversations as people in an authentic manner, in a respectful manner. And importantly, I think if you take nothing else away, let's bring hope, let's bring positivity. We know we all need more of that, right? The world needs more of that now. So thanks so much and look forward to chatting again.
1: Thank you for having me. Thank you.